0: Amen. This Psalm 87 was originally penned and written to honor a city, the city of Jerusalem. And if you think about it, the world has followed the example of the psalmist by considering the fact that the world has produced similar poems and songs to honor some of the cities of this world. Frank Sinatra sang of Chicago and also of New York many, many years ago. There are songs about London. There are songs about Paris. There are worldly songs and compositions about Belfast. And therefore the world has followed the example of the psalmist who here speaks in this psalm of Jerusalem. And then this song that's before us today, Jerusalem is called Zion in verses 2 and 5 because firstly Zion was the highest point in the city. One of the mountains of the city of Jerusalem was Zion. It's also called Zion here because secondly, it's believed that Zion was one of the oldest parts of the city. Second Samuel chapter 5 and the verse 2, David speaks of the stronghold or the fort of Zion. Taking that, capturing that stronghold from the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of Jerusalem. And of course, in the language of verse 3, glorious things likewise could be spoken of Jerusalem as a city. Because if you read the Bible carefully, you'll learn of many, many wonderful things that took place within the confines of Jerusalem. It was at Jerusalem, you might recall, on one of the other mountains of Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, Before the city was enlarged, that Isaac was delivered from being offered as a burnt offering by the slaying of the ram at the hand of his father. It was in the city of Jerusalem that David built his magnificent palace, which was the the envy of the world at that particular time. Hence the city became known as the city of David. Once more, it was at Jerusalem, and therefore, as a consequence, Jerusalem is worthy of being praised that the temple was constructed, the glorious temple in the days of Solomon, the place where the Lord was to be worshipped, the offerings made, the blood shed, the atonement made. Consequently, in the land of Israel, it was primarily in Jerusalem that the Israelites were taught of Christ. In the types and shadows of the temple. In the temple worship. The temple itself being one of the great types of Christ in Old Testament times. It was to Jerusalem further that Christ would come. He must go to Jerusalem. Because it is at Jerusalem outside of the city wall that Christ would be betrayed Tried, condemned, after these things, of course, outside of the city, he would be put to death, he would be buried, he would rise again the the third day. Therefore, is there any more a wonderful or significant spot in all of the world than Jerusalem? And therefore it's right that the psalmist should sing of Jerusalem. And therefore originally this psalm was penned in tribute to the physical city of Jerusalem. The location, the bricks, the mortar, and all that took place there. But this psalm, again, I would suggest to you, might also be viewed as being symbolic of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because verses 4 and 5 speak of birth. And we might liken that birth to the second birth, to regeneration. Verse 6 speaks of a register, the names of the Lord's chosen from eternity. According to Psalm 132, verses 13 and 14, we learn that the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever, he said. Here will I dwell. And the words there in Psalm 132 verse 14 cannot refer to an earthly city because, of course, the earthly Jerusalem will not be the Lord's habitation forever. Jerusalem, when this old world is destroyed, will likewise be destroyed. But the church of Christ is eternal. And therefore, Jerusalem might be pictured as a picture of the church of the redeemed. Again, mention of the name Zion or Jerusalem may also be taken as a reference to heaven. The Bible speaks about the new Jerusalem. And therefore, many of the things that could be said in regard to the earthly Jerusalem might also be applied to the heavenly Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You remember, for example, we read in Hebrews 12, verse 22, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And therefore this psalm can be applied either actually to Jerusalem itself, it could be applied typically to the church, or indeed to heaven itself. But since this is a special meeting that we're having this morning marking this anniversary and speaking in regard to the establishing of this congregation, the opening of this building on this site 65 and then 40 years ago, I wish to look at these verses in regard to their relevance to the house of God, to the house of God, to the place where God's people meet. Because many of the things highlighted in this Psalm 87 could be applied to this house, to the Lord's house. And therefore we shall look at this Psalm in that light from the perspective of it being written in regard to the house of God. And to the progress that has been made in this area and district of Coleraine over the last 65 years pre Presbyterian witness has been in this town since the early months of 1957. And we thank God for the faithfulness. And it was referred to in our prayer meeting this morning prior to the service. We thank God for the faithfulness of the Lord and for the faithfulness of men and women in those early days. Who stood for the Lord at that particular time and indeed since. A congregation is, of course, made up of people. And people then, because of circumstances, and as a result of the passage of time, change. And so of necessity, the passage of years changes a congregation. People come, people go. Many others who remain faithful are taken to the glory. The families in a congregation change also from time to time. But you see... When the work is of God, that congregation continues. The Lord furthers the work. People come, people go. Circumstances and situations change. The ages in which we live changes. But thank God, when a work is of God, that congregation continues. And the Lord furthers that work and he prospers it. And as others are taken from us then by death or whatever, and the older generations pass on, so the Lord raises up others, young people, new families, young individuals to take the work forward. And what a wonderful sight the Lord has provided here for this congregation and for this building. In a prominent place, just on the outskirts of this town with ample parking and easy access. You think about the thousands of cars that drive past, round that roundabout every single day. And the witness that this site is, the witness that this building is, the witness that the gospel texts are in regard to those who drive past. The Lord has blessed this congregation. He has blessed it greatly. And mightily. He is blessing it, and He will continue to bless it in the days to come. And so, I want you to think very, very quickly about the progress of the Lord's work in this town. Firstly, I'd have you consider the person and the progress of the Lord's work in this house and in this town. Because if you look at verse 5, particularly, the final words, thinking of the Lord's house, the Bible there says that the highest himself shall establish her. Here is something that the Lord himself has done something that is specific, a definite, determined act of God. On his part, what has the Lord done as far as this congregation is concerned and this building goes? The Lord has established this work here in this town and on this particular site. The word established carries with it the idea of the Lord's direction, firstly. And might we not say that we believe that a building was opened here 40 years ago solely because of the Lord's guidance. He put into the hearts of the brethren at that time to seek out a site for a building. In Isaiah 54 and the verse 2, The Lord says, enlarge the place of thy tent, stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. If you've ever camped in a tent, you will know that the frame of the tent has got to be put up. And then the canvas has got to be stretched over the frame, the stakes firmly hammered into the ground, and the cords then tied securely to those stakes. The picture portrayed in Scripture is of a tent being established. And of that tent then growing and extending, the thought is of enlargement. The tent taking up more and more ground and if you like then claiming a larger area. And that's what the Lord has done for this congregation. From small beginnings I would suggest the Lord has enlarged this church, this congregation And if the Lord had not given direction those 40 years ago to the brethren who were in the session and committee at that particular time, would they ever have undertaken this building program? I would suggest not. Because you see, the steps of a good man, it's the same for a congregation. They must be ordered by the Lord. And therefore I would suggest to you that the very fact that we meet in this beautiful building on this wonderful site this morning is a testimony and a witness to the blessing and the leading and the direction of God Almighty himself. The word establish also speaks not only of direction, it also speaks of determination. And I'm thinking not so much of man's determination, but a determination that comes from the Lord. Because whenever the Lord determines something, no man, no authority, no circumstances can stand in the Lord's way. It took around 25 years. From the commencement of the work here to the congregation in Coleray and getting their own building. You see, sometimes the, the wheels of the Lord move slowly. But when something is of God, it shall be done, it shall be accomplished, and in His time. Because you see, whenever the Lord's hand is in a matter, that event, that project, that venture cannot fail. Because whenever the Lord determines something, it will be done. No difficult, no matter how difficult the task might be. Or how many might stand in opposition to it. And you are here today because of what the Lord has done for you. Yes, men and women have been faithful. And men and women have given their lives and their tithes and probably far more besides. And we ought not, when we meet on occasions such as this, we ought not to despise the work of our forefathers and their generosity and what they have done for our congregations and for our denomination. We ought not to forget the debt that we owe to them. And this congregation has been raised by God. And he has taken faithful men and women and used them to his eternal and everlasting glory. You'll note also from verse 5 how the one who has established this congregation and this new church building is described. The verse says the highest himself shall establish her. You can't go any higher than the highest. Who can surpass the highest? You read Genesis 14 sometime. And you'll read there of Melchizedek, who came from Salem, probably an old name for Jerusalem itself. And he called, or he was called, Melchizedek was called in Genesis 14, the priest of the Most High God. In verse 20 of Genesis chapter 14, the power of the Most High God was mentioned as well. And when Abram in verse 22 stated that he had made a vow, it was to the most high God. Each time in Genesis 14 that the phrase the most high is mentioned, in effect the word is the highest. The highest. And why are we meeting here today? Because the highest has established this work. He has superintended it. He has overseen it. He has progressed it. The highest, the most high. That's the sole reason why this congregation is still in existence. Because the Lord has been in this work. Because the Lord delights in taking his work forward. And let me say to you in passing, that's how it will be in regard to a new minister for the congregation The Lord will raise up a man. Of that there is no doubt whatsoever. It might not be the man that you're thinking of. I don't know what you're thinking. I I don't know the ins and outs of the congregation whatsoever. But I can say to you. That the Lord will raise up a man for this pulpit. And for this congregation. And when that man is revealed. The vast majority of people. Members of this congregation will be in no doubt that this is of God. Because the Lord, you see, superintends his work. And he raises up men. He removes men according to his will, according to his plan, and according to his timings. And he makes no mistakes in regard to all of these things. And therefore I would say to you that the Lord that has been with you in the congregation for the last 65 years, he will not desert you now. And the Lord who provided this building 40 years ago and has provided men for the pulpit during the the time the congregation has been in existence, he will not let then the pulpit be vacant any longer than he wills it. Because the Lord loves his work. He loves his work. And you might love the work in coal rain, and I trust you do, but I tell you, the Lord loves it more. Because this is his work. His work. And therefore, never be discouraged by a vacant pulpit. You just cast yourself back upon the Lord. And you say to yourself, the Lord's will shall be done. In his time, in his way, with his man. I'd like you to think not only about the Lord, the person in this progress, but secondly, could I ask you to reflect upon the people and the progress of the Lord's work here. Because the 40th anniversary of a permanent building here I would suggest and the thought of this anniversary lays upon you a fresh responsibility upon every member, every friend, every associate of this congregation in regard to their attendance and their worship. Let me say a word or two firstly to you about the evaluation in the worship of God's people. I want you to note what's said in verse 2. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. That's important. And I would uh, propose to you that those words present a serious charge, a serious challenge upon each and every one of us. Because the Lord, in providing a building 40 years ago, a beautiful building, in providing the extension a number of years ago, the Lord in providing this building is highlighting his love for public worship. And of course, worship involves people. It's people who worship the Lord. The words, the gates of Zion there in that verse too, those words are viewed by many as a reference to the teeming multitudes of people who went to the temple to worship the Lord. The Lord delighted to see the gates of Zion crowded with thousands of people going through them on their way to the temple to worship the Lord. That's why the Bible here says that he loveth the gates of Zion. He loved to see the gates of Zion opened on the Sabbath day. And he loved to see thousands of people on the the Sabbath day and at other special times in the year as well all making their way to the the temple, the house of God, to worship the Lord unitedly and together. He had provided a temple. What was a temple for? It was for people to gather to worship the Lord. Why has the Lord provided this building 40 years ago? That people in cool might meet here publicly to worship the Lord together. That's why this building's here. And consequently, the Lord is here saying to you and me that the Lord prefers the worship that took place in the temple, that is public worship, to the worship that was offered in the dwellings of Jacob which would be regarded as private worship. Look what verse 2 says. Read it carefully. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. And the, the dwellings of Jacob refer to private worship where people meet with the Lord at home. They meet to pray. They meet to read God's word. They Indicate these words that no doubt there were a number of families, at least in Israel at that time, who met together in their own homes. That was private worship. But the Bible here says, and the Lord does not decry the private worship. You'll see from what our text says that the Lord loved all the dwellings of Jacob, wherein he was worshipped privately, but he loved the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Because it was there in the temple that the Lord was publicly worshipped. And so we can quite correctly come to the conclusion that public worship is to be preferred before private worship. There are many of God's people today, of course, who say, Oh, I can worship the Lord at home on the Lord's day. And so I don't need to go to the the house of God. Others say, oh, I go out in the morning, but I stay at home at night. I I have a little prayer time. I read my Bible on my own. I trust you do if you don't come out at night. But while that is a good thing, it's better to be in the place of public worship on the Lord's Day. Morning and evening. You're doing good reading your Bible at home. And praying to the Lord at home, I trust you do it six days a week. And yes, on the Lord's Day as well. But I trust that every time those gates are open and every time this house is open, on the Lord's Day particularly, you're in your place. That's why the Lord has raised up this building for public worship. And therefore the best thing that you can do on the Lord's day is attend the worship of the Lord's house. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. In other words, it's better to meet together publicly as a company of people in the Lord's day than to worship at home. You'll see also the exaltation in the worship of God's people. Because the Lord is more glorified by public worship than by private worship. Of course, he's glorified by us when we acknowledge that he is glorious, whatever the setting at home, yes. But he is more glorified in public worship than he is in private worship. That's what the the verses are intimating here. You'll remember David in 1 Samuel 18 verse 7 after his victory over Goliath all the women of the cities of Israel came out singing and shouting one to another Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. It was more honourable for David to be honoured by the multitude. Somebody might have gone to David and shook his hand and said David that that was a brilliant victory you got over Goliath. Well done. Well done. But I would suggest to you it was much more honorable for David to be acknowledged publicly. And so it is for you and me who are the people of God. Or or others indeed who are not yet Christians. I trust you read your Bible. Yes. But I would encourage you to come to the house of God. Because the Lord is more honored publicly. You think about the queen and her family. They might have privately met on the grounds of Buckingham Palace, some of the back gardens of Buckingham Palace to celebrate her jubilee at the beginning of June. That would have been a great occasion, 70 years on the throne. But it was much more honorable to her to have public recognition of that fact. When tens of thousands could be involved, it was the same with her funeral. The royal family might have had a private funeral. But it was more Of an occasion for the queen's attributes to be highlighted by a public procession and service. With the events televised when millions could acknowledge her contribution. And so it is with David when he speaks of public worship in Psalm 96 in the verse 3. And he says, Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. Therefore, the Lord is most glorified when his glory is most declared by a multitude. And what I'm saying to you quite simply is that whenever you come to the house of God, as is your duty, as is your responsibility, you are glorifying the Lord by engaging in public worship. More so than if you try to worship the Lord at home. Of course, some people are housebound. Circumstances forbid others from meeting publicly on the Lord's day from time to time. That's understandable. But what I'm saying to you is, if you have a choice and you can't come to the Lord's house, that's why this house has been given. For public worship. Don't neglect it. Don't forsake it. Don't allow anything else to come in To mar the blessing of God upon you worshipping publicly. Allow me to make mention also of the experience in the worship of God's people. Because the Lord delights to meet with a number of people. Yes, the Lord can meet with individuals in their own home. Of course he can't. And how often the Lord has blessed you and met with you in the privacy of your own home. But the Lord delights more, I would suggest to you, to meet with people publicly. Because the Lord Jesus said in Mark chapter 28 and the verse 20. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Those words were given. Just after the Lord Jesus had given instruction for the administration of public worship, the preaching of the gospel to all nations, And Christ had said, in Mark 28 or Matthew 28, verse 20, sorry, Christ had said, "Go ye therefore, and teach all nations. How are all nations taught primarily in the public worship of the Lord's name, meeting together in the house of God? And after Christ said to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the Lord Jesus then concluded by saying, Lo, I am with you always. Though I am with you always. You see, whenever people meet publicly as a company, the Lord's promise is to be with them. You see, the intimacy of his presence in Mark, Or Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Public worship. Public worship. He doesn't say he is near them or just with them or about them. No, the Lord is in the midst here today. He's in the midst here today. Because we are meeting publicly to worship the Lord this Lord's Day. In this building that the Lord has provided for you as a congregation. And Christ says that he is in the midst of us today. Public worship. The essential very quickly in the worship of God's people. Because it is essential for the people of God and for others to meet together publicly. People are more liable to backslide who do not attend the house of God, God's people. They're more liable to backslide. They're more liable to grow discouraged in God's work. Because they haven't the company of God's people. They don't take the company or the opportunity to have company and fellowship with God's people. People are more likely to grow cold when they absence themselves from the house of God. A great has said, if I fail to practice for one day, I know it. If I fail to practice for two days, my family knows it. If I fail to practice for three days, everybody knows it. You know, sometimes at the harvest, people come into buildings, and they enjoy the harvest time, and you don't see them then again, maybe at Christmas, the family service or whatever at Christmas. You don't see them after that to Easter. And then it's the next harvest before they're back again. And you as a child of God, maybe that's how inconsistent you are. You wonder how you never get any victory. You wonder how your Christian life is stuttering and stop and start. And you never seem to be able to live for the Lord as you'd like to live for the Lord. Well, that's why. That's one of the reasons. Forsake not the assembling of thyselves together. And you ought always to remember... It is the devil's aim to keep you from God's house. You remember that every time you get up on a Sunday morning, you're tempted not to go to the house of God. Every time it comes to six o'clock in the evening, you think, oh, I should be getting ready to go to the meeting. It's the devil's aim to keep you from God's house. And he will tell you anything. He will whisper anything to your mind. He will do anything to you. To keep you from God's house. Why? Because the Lord loveth the gates of Zion. And therefore the devil hates public worship. He hates this meeting. He's doing his best to disrupt this meeting. And to keep the word of God out of your mind and out of your heart. And he will do anything he can to keep you from God's house. One final thing, my time's gone, I apologize for that. There's the praise and the prospect or the progress of the Lord's work. Now, if the Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob, then so should you, so should I. That being so, it should be our delight then to praise him. Verse seven speaks of the singers and the players on the instruments in the house of God. It's right to praise the Lord for all that he has done. It's right to mark these anniversaries and these special times in the history of our congregations. It's right to lift our hearts at the harvest. And praise him from the depths of our being for all that he has done for us. It is right for God's people to praise him for his wonderful and his so great salvation. This psalm is a song you will see from the title for the sons of Korah. I haven't time to go back in scripture, but you remember Numbers chapter 16, the rebellion against Aaron, the Lord's chosen high priest. Who led that rebellion? Korah. And as a consequence then, Korah was destroyed. The ground opened up and swallowed him. You you ought never to say that phrase. That's a common phrase. Oh, I wish that you're in an awkward situation. And you say, oh, I wish the ground had opened up and swallowed me. No, that's a blasphemy. That's a blasphemy. Because as far as Korah and his co-conspirators were concerned, the ground did open up and swallow him. Cast them down, straight down into hell itself. The people to whom this psalm was written were the sons of Korah the sons of Korah. And you discover from Numbers chapter 26 and the verse 11 that the children of Korah died not, so they were spared. They were spared. And they eventually, you read 1 Chronicles nine nineteen, you discover that the descendants of Korah became keepers of the gates of the tabernacle. They... We're employed then in the service of the Lord's house. So here are these men, the sons of Korah. They came from a rebellious family, you might say, a God hating family. A Christ-rejecting family because Aaron was really a type and a picture and a shadow of Christ in their day, way back in Numbers chapter 16. Here is a family of people. The father had been destroyed for his unbelief, but here's his sons, the following generations, the sons of Korah, and we see them involved in the Lord's service. How good is the, the God of heaven? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And if you're here today, you're a child of God, you ought to thank God for that very fact. The Lord has delivered your soul by his amazing grace. And if there's somebody here in conclusion, you're not yet a child of God. You've never been saved by the Lord's grace. Oh, come today. The Lord can make a wonderful change in your life. He can take you from being a rebel and a Christ rejecter and a gospel hater to being a servant of his. And one who would get involved in the Lord's work here in days to come. Come to Christ today. Receive him by faith. And may you become like one of the sons of Korah. Redeemed. Saved. Washed in the Savior's precious, precious blood. We look back with Thanks. In looking back with thanks to what the Lord has done. We look forward with optimism. Because the same God is still. The God of the highest. The highest himself. Who hath established this work. May he go on to lead this work forward. In days to come. He will. He will. That's his promise. The highest himself shall establish this work. Because he loveth the gates of Zion. May the Lord bless.